to the choir master for the flutes, the psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I do pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, because of my enemies make your way stri- because of my enemies make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth, their inmost self is destruction, their throat is an open grave, they flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God, let them fall by their own counsels, because of the abundance of their transgressions cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. This is the word of God. Thank you so much, uh, Rhoda, for reading God's Word for us. How do you start your day? With what, in what way do you start your day? That's the question for the sermon of today. And for this, we look today at Psalm 5. If you have a Bible, then have it with you for... uh, We will go through this wonderful psalm uh, today. How do you start your day? Today we look at Psalm 5, a psalm of David, and as we shall see, it's also a psalm of Jesus. Later on, Jesus has used this psalm. He has been praying this psalm as well. Um, We first will look today at how at what this psalm contains as a psalm of David and as a psalm of Jesus. We will go through the psalm. Then we will see that this psalm brings us to a question. And this question we will try to answer with the help of God. And that brings us to the heart of of this psalm. And from there we will see how this is also a psalm for us. So that's the program. Psalm of David and of Jesus. A question and an answer. How is this a psalm for us? Now, if we want to have an overview of this psalm, how does it work, then in the first part, verses 1 to 3, you see that the king uh, requests to be admitted to God. So it's a request to be admitted. That's how it starts. Then in verses 4 to 7, You see the reason for that request of the king. 
You see why the king requests to be admitted, the reason. And then in verses 8 to 12, you hear the requests that the king makes. So a request to be admitted, the reason for the request, and then the requests made. So in this psalm, we hear a voice. It's the voice of the anointed king, in Hebrew, of the Messiah, in Greek, of the Christ. We hear David, early in the morning, cry to God, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to you do I pray. A request to be admitted. In past weeks, we saw that David, as the king appointed and anointed by God, um, once had to flee from Jerusalem, God's city. And... Absalom had started a revolt. Absalom had taken the palace, the city, the country, and the king had to flee. He had to go out, and some people had followed him, and now they were far away from Jerusalem. They faced an uncertain future. And David rises early in the morning, crying to God, How do you start your day? might be good to start your day with prayer. But what is prayer? Here we see that the king cries to God, so to say, as the sovereign judge and king of the universe. He is a king, but he knows that he is in some sense the son of the king. The great king is God. The father king is God. He has been appointed to be the king. And now he cries to God. Because he has been cast out, but he knows that he is the covenant king. He is the appointed king. So there is something going on that's not right. And, and he cries to God, the sovereign judge of the universe, that he may hear him. And he is confident that God will hear him because he knows there is a covenant between him, the king, and God, the sovereign king. He says, you are my king, my God, my Lord. So hear me, please hear me. In the morning. Now it's good for us to know that the morning was the time that the major of the city would sit in the, uh, in the gate of the city or the king would sit in the gate of the capital and if some, some unrighteousness was going on, then you should be early in the morning coming, uh, going there and, and bring your case before the judge, ask him to do something about it. Later on in the day, uh, these judges would have to work, for instance, on the land, so they wouldn't be there any longer. So early in the morning, you would go there with your case. Now, here we hear the king go to the great king, hear my voice. Didn't you appoint and anoint me as king? It's morning now. Morning, also the time to bring a sacrifice to God, to approach God, to lay your things before God. That's prayer, and that is what David starts with. And immediately after that, the reason follows why he is praying, why he is knocking on heaven's door. By the way, have you observed that this is not only here in the psalm, it's also something Jesus tells about. 
in the Gospel of Luke, you can read about Jesus encouraging us to pray, and he gives an example of a widow and a very unrighteous judge. However, the widow holds on, knocking on the door of the judge, you should do your work, please, do what you have to do, and uh, do it, bring righteousness. Now, Jesus used that example for us to encourage us to pray. By the way, this is what Jesus did himself. You may remember in the Gospel of Mark, we read that when Jesus had been preaching and teaching, there were people who were angry with him. They wanted to kill him. And there were many others who came to him, but they did not come so much for his preaching. They came for the healings and the miracles he did. And then we read, Jesus rose very early in the morning. Why? To pray, to knock on heaven's door, to ask his father what should I do now? Help me. Guide me. So here you see that that psalm is a psalm of David, but it is also a psalm of Jesus. He was doing the same. Early in the morning, he went to God. To God. Now the reason David went to God is obvious, of course. So in the city of Jerusalem, yeah, so, so much wickedness was going on. Now, in verses 4 to 6, David mentions what is going on, and he makes an appeal to God, first in three negative phrases about God, God is not, God is not, God is not, and then in three positive statements about God, you are, you are, you are. So six statements about God. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Oh God, I knock on your door. You are the judge. I know you. I know your law. I know what you delight in. You have revealed it in your book, in your law. David was a king with a book, with a Bible. The first five books of the Bible were the Bible of David. In it, God revealed what he was pleased with, what he delighted in. And it was very obvious for David that what now was going on in Jerusalem was not what God delights in. It was clear for David, evil may not dwell with you. However, evil is going on in the city of Jerusalem. The boastful, remember Psalm 1, Psalm 2, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. God hates the boastful men who are proud and who laugh at God's law. However, what's going on in Jerusalem, the boastful stand over there in God's city. And David goes on to confess whom his God is. And it may shock us what we hear him say. He says, you hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So in the city, there are the evildoers. They make plans. They already took the capital city. And they took the kingdom. But now they make plans to crush David. So to bring together a big army. It's not enough for them to have the city and the palace and the kingdom. No, they know that there are still some followers of David, and they know that David is still alive. So they plan their evil plans, and they 
spread some lies about David. Do you know how corrupt the king was? How evil he was? So come, follow us. We should come together. We should find him. We should fight him. We should kill him. They are bloodthirsty. They are deceitful in what they say about David. This is what what David brings forward to God. He knocks on heaven's door and he asks God, see what is going on in your city. See it. This is not what you are happy with. You have declared in your word that you hate that. Now we may be a bit surprised that it does not say you hate all evil, though you love the evildoers. I think we have heard that many times, haven't we? We have often heard the quote, uh, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Yeah, sounds good, doesn't it? God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. That's not what David is um, saying here about God. David does not say, you hate uh, the evil of the evildoers, however you love, um, you love those evildoers. No, David says, you hate all evildoers. Now, some of you might be inclined here to take your red pencil and to say, well, this is Old Testament, let's make some corrections. And you might say, well, I love the New Testament rather than the Old Testament. Hate all evildoers, that's nothing for us. But don't be too quick to judge the word of God. All scripture, not only the New Testament, also the Old Testament is God-breathed. It has authority for us. So we have to be the student and the disciple of God's word and not the judge to say, well, this is wrong, David, you are mistaken here. We can learn something here that I think especially the Western church today, is inclined to forget. If God looks at Jerusalem, if God looks at Absalom and the man around him, like Ahetophel, who makes a counsel how they can best kill David and his men, If God looks at these men who plan in their hatred to kill God's people, then what is the truth about God that we should know? Is the truth about God that, yeah, he doesn't like these plans of Absalom. He doesn't agree with these, of course. But still, when he looks at Absalom, he loves him so much. And these men around him, Ah, it's not good what they plan, so they have some sins, they need some improvement, they need some correction and conversion perhaps, but oh, God loves them so much. Is that the truth of God's word? So, of course, in the heart of the Bible is the doctrine about the love of God. But I believe today we have lost, we have lost what that love of God is all about. If we wouldn't first understand the hatred of God that we find in this psalm, we will never get what God's love is all about. I believe we must really listen to what we find here, that that David makes an appeal to God. They have been cast out. Some have followed him. And in the city, a lot of evil is going on. 
Now, David is not mistaken, I believe, when he says that not only God hates that, but, but that God hates them. Hatred is that you really abhor from not only things people do, but even from the persons. Sounds shocking, perhaps. I must be cautious the way I bring it. You may remember last year I preached about David and about abuse. And I told you that sometimes when I was trying to help some people who had suffered from some abuse, people felt they were bad Christians. Why? They said, when I think back of the abuse, I feel such a hatred. I'm so angry. That's what hatred is. You, you, you really don't want to see the person. Now, I have sometimes comforted people, sounds shocking again perhaps, by saying that feeling this hatred is not in the first place a non-Christian thing, but I believe is in the first place something that you have been created in the image of God. The hatred is in you, the hatred is also in God. So God created a beautiful world. God created humanity in his image. But when man became a sinner, rebelled against God, this was not just, well, man was still a wonderful being, however, he had some things that he should improve. No, man changed in something God really hates and abhors, something that God's anger is, is, is raised about. We find that, I think, in the first five books of the Bible, and we find it here. David knows that God hates what is going on. And he asks the sovereign judge to do something about it. He asks for righteousness. By the way, if you live in the Western church in a free country, this might sound different from when you live in a country where the church is severely oppressed and persecuted. And many, many sad and uh, unrighteous things are going on. The book of Psalms has been used many times through history and in the worldwide church when the church was persecuted. Now let's go on. David's reasons to make an appeal to God. First, he refers to the evil that is going on and he says, you are the judge, this is not what you delight in. And then he goes on with the reasons to make his appeal. Verse 7, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. So the next reason to ask God to act is that he knows, I was your anointed king. You have chosen me. You have called me and the people behind me to dwell in your city. So... I'm confident that you will do that. You will bring me back into your house. This is my deep longing to be with you, God, again, with my people. And already now, although the temple is far away, I bow down in the morning. I cry out to you. This is what is prayer. You can use your body. You can use your voice. You can use your knees. In the, in the, when the day starts, you can make an appeal to God. Why? Because of all the sadness that is going on in the world and because of the promises that God has made to you, to David, to the king and to all those who follow the king. And of course, 
here we may look at Jesus. When Jesus teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer, this has something to do with these verses. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we pray this because the name of the Father is dishonored in this world. When we pray, your kingdom come, we pray this because the kingdom of God is opposed. When we pray, your will be done, we pray this because the will of God is hated, despised, made ridiculous. People do their own will and not God's will. So that's why Jesus teaches us to pray the Lord's Prayer for the glory, the kingdom, and the will of God. And Jesus knows that he is the real chosen king, Messiah, Christ, son of David. He left the father's house. He came into this world, but he knows one day he will be back in God's holy temple, that God will hear him and bring him back. So David has reasons to make an appeal to God. Jesus has reasons to pray early in the morning and to teach us to pray. Now let's move on. And in verses 8 to 12, hear which requests are made by the king. First and main request we hear in verse 8. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. So the first thing the covenant king asks God is that in this day, God may help him to do the right things, to, to walk in righteousness. When you live in a world full of sin, temptation, and sadness, you may easily be tempted or inclined to to sin as well and to get lost. So the king asks God, help me focus this day. You have a task for me this day. Lead me this day in your righteousness because of my enemies. And see here how this is a prayer of Jesus as well. The enemies of Jesus laid the traps. They wanted to tempt Jesus to, to do some evil. But Jesus was praying early in the morning, lead me, my Father, lead me in your righteousness. Make your way straight before me. So this is what David was praying, to have a clear focus for the day, to walk God's way that day, and it is what Jesus has done as well. But what about all these circumstances that are going on? Well, two requests follow. One in verses 9 to 11, no, sorry, 9, 9 and 10, one request concerning all the people in Jerusalem and what they are doing, and one request about the people behind David, verses 11 and 12. So to say it very shortly, in verse 9 and 10, the prayer of the king concerning those who have, um, who have taken Jerusalem... He prays, cast them out. They have rebelled against you. You know what they are like. And it is described here. 
No truth is in their mouth. Their inmost soul is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. The king asks, them, asks God that they may bear their guilt and that God will do what he has to do to cast them out. By the way, it's a bit a language that reminds us of the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, we see God's people, the people God has redeemed from Egypt. They travel through the desert. It is a hard way. And they want to enter the promised land. Now, the promised land is possessed by people who do evil, who do not keep God's commandments. And the perspective is that they will be cast out. However, God's people will be brought in into the land. Now, this is what David prays here. Now, again, a difficult question, perhaps even a harder question. Could you imagine about these verses that Jesus would ever have prayed a thing like this? Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. So, of course, we can imagine this of David. Let them fall by their own counsels. David knew that Ahitophel was making a counsel, a plan to, to get David killed. But what about Jesus? I believe it's good that we ask this question, this prayer we call an imprecatory prayer, and we find such prayers a few times more in the book of Psalms. And of course we cannot preach throughout the whole book of Psalms, but when you try to use the Psalms, early or later you will find such a Psalm. So it's good that we arrive here and ask what should we do with such a prayer? Can you imagine that Jesus have, has ever thought about it? Now, don't be too quickly, I think, with your judgment. Of course, in the Gospels, we find no phrase where it says that Jesus prays such a prayer aloud. And I think the reason for that is very obvious. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus came to make us aware that condemnation of God is upon us, but he came as a saving king so that everyone who takes refuge in him can be saved, forgiven, restored, and inherit eternal life. That is why the Savior came. So, of course, that is the, well, the main, main accent in the Gospels. And mainly the Gospels tell us about the words of Jesus he spoke publicly and the deeds he did in public. But still, last week I said the book of Psalms is a book about the heart of God's people and the heart of God's King. Jesus has known and I believe prayed these prayers. Now if you look for instance at Matthew 23, after all the preaching that Jesus has done, in Jerusalem, the city of David. A call to repentance. A warning for hell to come. Did you know that no one in the Bible has spoken more about hell than Jesus? When Jesus has given his warnings and his call to come to him and find refuge in him, find life and forgiveness and joy, find his father, when he has continued to preach, some have come, others have more and more hardened their hearts. They make plans to indeed 
killed the Messiah. And Jesus in Matthew 23 says, Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. You have hardened your heart, hearing the voice of God time after time after time. You have hardened yourself and you were sure that you would continue to continue in your evil. Now might our Savior not long for the day that God removes evil and evildoers from the earth? Perhaps, again, a bit shocking picture, but if you think of a doctor and he wants to treat someone, there are cancer cells in your body then of course the aim of the treatment is to kill the cancer cells. The doctor couldn't say, well, it's fine if some cancer cells remain, go asleep and, and, and remain in the body. No, of course not. Then early or later the body will be sick again. Now the problem in this world is not that we are good people with some sins, so we need some improvement. The problem in this world is that we are sinners. God looking at us cannot say, ha, ah, he has some sins or she has some sins, but furthermore, I love him very much, so let, let's encourage him or her to improve a bit and then maybe he will be able to enter heaven. That's not how the gospel works. The problem is much more severe. They should change something. The sinner should die. No remnants of the sinner and the sin should remain. A new man should be there. Otherwise, if God brings us in into his new world under the new heavens, all problems will reoccur again. That's not a feature of a bad doctor. It's a feature of a good doctor. David prayed a prayer, cast them out. Now, although we hesitate a bit, Shouldn't we think of Jesus also have longed for the day that that was all over? If you read the book of Revelation, chapter 6, then you get a heavenly perspective of things going on on the earth, and you see all the persecutions going on, people killed because of their faith, beheaded, and so on. And then you hear those who are already in the heavens pray Cry to God as the sovereign judge, how long, God, sovereign judge, will you wait to bring your judgment? So they long for the judgment and they see some comfort in the judgment that one day evildoers will be removed from the earth and that heaven and earth will be reunited. Now, if they pray this, Will the king who leads them in prayer in the heavens be silent? Will he not pray like that? Back to the psalm. We were looking at the requests made by the king. First, a request as a focus for the day. Lead me in this day in your righteousness. Then a request that the evildoers may be removed. And then thirdly, a prayer that those who take refuge in God may rejoice. So this last request is a request for restoration of joy. That the people who love God and want to walk with God and with his king may be back. Heaven and earth united. Jerusalem, place where God dwells. Only song and joy and love. Joy, joy, joy. It is repeated several times. 
ending with a confidence that God will do it. God will bless the righteous. He will cover him or them, it's both possible in translation, will cover him or cover them with favor as with a shield. So a psalm of David, a psalm of Jesus, a request to be admitted to the sovereign judge, the reason for the request, all the things that are going on, and the promises of God, that's what makes him and makes us pray, the promises of God, and then the requests, the main request, help and guidance for the day, and that God may take care of all the wickedness, and that God may fulfill his promises and bring his kingdom. Now, one big question remains, and that is, okay, God can hate evil and even, even evildoers, but then what about God's love? And what about David? Was David not a sinner? Had he not been a wicked man in his behavior towards Bathsheba? So how can God love and favor David? And how could God ever love and favor us if this is the case? It's impossible that we do not get this question when we hear all this. Is it? Now, the psalm itself answers this question, and it's very important that we pay attention to that. In verse 7, David says, I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. David does not say, well, indeed, there are many evildoers, but let's lay it on the scales. Some are very evil people. We are a bit less evil and we try to do our best. Hopefully, maybe, maybe God will love us because we do our best, because we are a bit better than the other ones. Now, that's not how the gospel works. So, Paul in Romans 3 quotes this psalm. He quotes the hardest verses of this psalm, for instance, verse 9 to make clear that all have sinned, no exception. So that is something that has to be dealt with. When God loves us, it's not because he sees us try hard to do better. The reasons are not something in us. The reasons are something in God. When he elects and calls and makes known that there is a way of salvation, that is because of his great mercy. Yes, God is angry with all men because of sin and because of being a sinner. Yes, he is. But deep in his heart is such a great mercy that he has chosen to save sinners and to send one who would take the curse and the punishment upon him. See the cross where Jesus dies. All who come to Jesus to take refuge in him are taken with him on his cross and their curse has been dealt with, are taken with him in his grave dying. And their being a sinner, not just their sin, but their being a sinner has been dealt with. And when Jesus rises from the grave, a new man rises. 
So in our lives, the sinner is still there, but we, we who believe in Jesus, we who follow Jesus, may know the sinner has been dealt with. Think of your faith and your baptism. When you die, the sinner will be over forever, and you may indeed enjoy be with God. Today, I believe many would be surprised to hear that there could be hatred in God. So the normal thing is, if there is a God at all, he should of course be love, and of course he should be okay with me, otherwise I won't even think of it. The truth the Bible announces is that God is angry with sin and with sinners. That's the normal thing. But the surprising thing, the amazing thing, is that Although there is his anger, there is a deep love in God. See the cross and hear his voice. He calls you. Have you been reconciled with God? Have you come to know this wondrous love that cost him the life of his own son, Jesus Christ? Yes, God will deal with all evil in this world and that day will come. But God is not slow to fulfill that promise. But God is patient. For he is working at having a people from all nations who take refuge in the son of David, the Messiah, the sovereign king. That's the message of this psalm. Now to end with, very shortly, how is this a psalm for us? How can we use it? Well, If we know this gospel, this gospel does not make us passive, but active. It gives us hope that things, for instance, in your country or in your situation, will not always continue to be as they are now. There is a sovereign king and a sovereign judge who will do justice and who will make a kingdom people over all the earth. Isn't that reason enough to prioritize prayer? Not just to wake up and watch your Insta and, uh, and have uh, uh, some bread and go to college or so, but first and foremost, although it's not easy to rise up and to knock on heaven's door, knowing that the Lord called you, that you may be his child, not because of your efforts, your trials to, 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 to be better than others, but because of his amazing love prioritize to be with him your heavenly father and ask him to help you to do your thing that day that's enough you don't need to do the big work so leave the big things to God there are the troubles in your country in the world in your own uh, circumstances leave them to God and ask him lead me and lay the rest in his hands And strangely enough, that will enable you to love sinners, to love people around you. If you know that God takes care of it all, then you can have compassion with others. So let's use this psalm to pray early in the morning, to go to God, to be aware of the privilege, the amazing grace that he has given us, to ask him to lead us and to bring his kingdom. Amen. And for now, uh, be aware that our Lord sees us in this world, that he has said, I am with you all the days, and receive his blessing.
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.